2: You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. It's 2017, and it's still news that there's a horror anthology movie out with five woman filmmakers. How can that be? Haven't we evolved beyond that bullshit by now? XX wears its gender proudly on its bloody sleeve, and it's filled with the frights we delight in. It's just a good movie, and it's a shame that it took so much struggle and heartache to get it off the ground. It's not that female directors are anything new. Dorothy Arzner was making Hollywood movies from musicals to melodramas from the 20s through the 40s. Actress Ida Lupino turned to directing in the 50s and made some impressive noirs from The Hitchhiker to The Bigamist. Lena Wirtmuller ruled the arthouse cinemas of the 70s. There were even horror schlockmeisters, or schlockmistresses, like Doris Wishman in the 60s and Stephanie Rothman in the 70s. Penny Marshall and Nancy Myers have created many successful comedies over the last couple of decades, and Catherine Bigelow made waves in the horror genre in the 80s with Near Dark. The shame is that it's so easy to single them out. The fact that we have to even categorize films of any kind by gender or ethnicity is kind of mysterious. Storytelling is storytelling, and who gives a damn about the source? Two of the filmmakers from XX are with me today, Jovanka Vukovic, who went from being editor of the Canadian horror magazine Rue Morgue to filmmaker, and Karin Kusama, who just happened to make my favorite movie of last year, The Invitation. This is Postmortem with Mick Garris. So why did there have to be an XX? What was the genesis of the movie? Yovanka, I think you kind of kicked it off, right?
1: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having us, Mick. It's lovely <laughs> to see you again. It's great. Always great. Um, yeah, it sort of came, was born out of necessity. Um, we, um, m- Myself and Todd Brown up in Toronto, he's a producer, and he's the sort of white male feminist hero behind this project. I had noticed um, women being passed over for... Um, uh, positions and in all of the kind of contemporary antholo- horror anthologies that were coming out, and in a lot of features, it just we noticed their absence and um, the the female director problem, and so we decided to do something about it. And um, XX was something actionable that we could do because, like, making noise is great, right? But XX was something we could actually do to create jobs for women and opportunities for women. So um, horror is the genre that I know best. So um, it just made sense. And and obviously the horror genre has a, you know, the anthology format has a long history in, in the horror genre. So we knew that it was possibly successful and I'm happy to say that you know we're the number 1 horror film on iTunes right now and we've been been there the this entire week since we opened so I guess that says something But about, how
2: long you know? did it take to get it off the ground? <laughs> I mean.
1: Oh god, 4 years. <laughs> 4 yeah. years. It's like anything, um, you know, I was listening to your, your podcast with Rob Zombie and he was just talking about how it's a miracle to get anything made, right? And yeah, I mean, we started this four years ago and I shot my segment over two years ago like almost two and a half years ago now.
2: So at the time you had made The Box, which is your episode, your segment, Um, was there a complete script for a feature film or the plan from the beginning was to make one short at a time and gather them together into a feature film?
1: Yeah, the plan was always to make, you know, 20-minute shorts and um
2: So the other scripts did not exist at the time the
1: box did. N- no, and we didn't even know what what the other directors were doing. We didn't talk to each other. I mean, I because I'm a, I associate produced the project as a whole. I I kind of had an idea, but I didn't read anyone's scripts and uh it was um kind of a surprise when they all came together in the end and uh well, it's interesting know. too uh to me because Beyond the
0: political or sort of socioeconomic implications of this kind of show, I think what's really interesting, I mean, this kind of anthology series, what's really interesting is the experiment of it, which is what would happen if you just had a female perspective, multiple female perspectives represented in the, in, in one anthology film. And it's sort of like the experiment proves its own thesis, which is every film is so different from the last. Every film has a completely different voice, and, and which I think is a healthy thing for an anthology. I don't think... I mean, it's wonderful if you love every single one, but it's really nice when you can see very distinct voices from the other. And so I just feel like that's also what's so interesting about the series, is it allows for very different female voices to be represented
2: Well, it's what we wanted to do on Masters of Horror. Mm -hmm. We encouraged everybody to do it completely different every time. And I know Yovanka gives me shit because we didn't have any uh, female directors. Not for the want of trying. You wouldn't believe how many female directors turned us down because horror was not what they wanted to do again.
1: I believe you Because it wasn't Mm -hmm. easy Putting this together It was not easy Um, We faced a lot of Director lineup changes And then Mm -hmm. You know The pool of people That we were You know Drawing from Was so so much smaller And we could have Easily, you know, given up years ago and said, well, let's just hire a couple of guys because they're available and willing (laughs) and put it out there because, you know, Magnolia, I'm sure, would like to release this movie eventually, (laughs) right? Um, Eventually. (laughs) Right. And so we – but we remained, you know, um, committed to the concept and – you know eventually across the finish line but yeah it, it, it wasn't easy right keep finding well, all those women
2: well karen you made my favorite movie of last year with oh, the thanks. invitation That's and an you're here <laughs> well it, it's a great film and what's great about it and what's great about your short in xx is that it's a very grown-up movie hmm. you know it's it's horror it's not supernatural horror well Your short for XX Mm -hmm. is... Has some
0: elements. Yeah,
2: some Rosemary's Baby elements, I think. And and it feels like there's kind of a tribute to that. But the adulthood of your films, starting with Girl Fight Mm -hmm. and and then, you know, going to Jennifer's body and things Mm -hmm. like that in your background... um, what do you think you bring to that? Do you think you're you're the mother of a son? Mm-hmm, do you think parenthood and and your gender made a big difference in what was frightening to you?
0: Uh, that is a question I just endlessly grapple with. I, I do feel like I am a specific kind of woman who grew up taking care of my brother and sister. Uh, both my parents worked very busy full time jobs, so I felt. A sense of tremendous responsibility from a really young age. And there is a blessing to that and a kind of horror to the burden you feel as a child that you have to take care of stuff. And I think I grew up very aware of what's getting taken care of and what's not getting taken care of. And as I grew to be, I think, a more politically conscious person that question remains ever present for me basically from the minute i wake up to this to the to the minute my head hits the pillow and i feel like the female perspective but also just the conscious human perspective in horror is an essential component to part of i think what's giving it a sort of critical resurgence right now there's a seriousness to what we're grappling with that I think is really um it's just so relevant right now
2: and uh, tell me about how you became involved in XX how far along were things I
0: think well I know Yovanka and Todd Yovanka jump in here because I I know you guys had already lined up Antonia
1: yeah
0: and maybe I feel like there were other filmmakers in the mix when I had been asked, but it still felt early. It was very early. And then it felt like a lot of people just kind of had to change their plans. There was Antonia's untimely death. There was so much about it that was just sort of a struggle. Um, Mm. And I just kind of watched it from the sidelines and felt uh, sympathy, deep sympathy for the process. (laughs) Sympathy Um, for the devil. Yeah, 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 exactly. But... um, But I was just able to hang in. I was really lucky because everybody had issues around work and can they slot this little film in? And uh, I just was
1: very lucky to find a moment where I could do it. And, I mean, she had worked with um, Todd and yes. XYZ Films on, on The Invitation, so they had a relationship already. But, yeah, the, the original lineup um, was very different um, than the final lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were
2: even posters
1: there uh, were... You know,
2: for selling at Cannes or whatever yes. that had a different list of filmmakers. You were always among them.
1: I was always, yeah, because it was uh, mine and Todd's idea, right? right. So um, I, was, I stayed stayed, uh, you know, the course. But yeah, we lost, um Antonia Bird was attached in the very beginning, and um, we, we lost her to, to cancer. And, um,
2: and she so, was an amazing filmmaker. She, she was, Just yeah. uh, so many great films, and so, kind of, they had teeth.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 yeah she's, a, I guess, a personal hero, one of the, you know, I mean, a movie came out in, I think Ravenous came out in like 2000, or I think it was around yeah. there. Yeah, And, um, just seeing a woman's name, you know, directed by Antonio Bird, was like, wow, you know, if, if she can do it, so can I. And there was just so few examples of that, mm-hmm. you know, in my growing up and then in my 20s, even in my 20s and... Um, so she, she was a hero. And so we, we dedicated the movie to her. It's, it's dedicated right. to her memory. Jen Lynch was attached for a long time. Um, but she got busy directing um, like every TV show imaginable great. for yeah. the next million years. So exactly. that's great. And her and I became really good friends and <laughs> we're developing other stuff together. So great. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, there was there was all sorts of. Um, um, we had ideas. We wanted to reach out. To, we wanted, wanted the Waschowski sisters to participate, mm-hmm. really, because this was sort of about gender, and so we wanted to be inclusive. And, um, and uh, yeah, so people came and went, and the final lineup was really interesting because we ended up with like literally a rock star participating. <laughs>
2: literally, it was saying. So yeah, literally,
0: literally a,
1: rock a rock star. A, a rock star, <laughs> which was, and she was a real wild card because we had no idea what what she might do. Right, she hadn't made any short films, Mm -hmm. and uh, this was
2: truly a directing debut for her.
1: Yeah, she Mm -hmm. she hadn't directed any of her uh, music videos, and so we really, you know, didn't have a clue, and so that was exciting, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. to be to not know what she was going to deliver, and so she describes her segment as um, as Weekend at Bernie's meets um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf,
2: (laughs) (laughs) maybe a little touch of Parents, yeah, Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, Statistically, there are more female horror fans than there are male mm-hmm. horror fans. Um, yep. And when the decision on date night comes around, it's usually made by the female partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do you think... Is it that there's a dearth of women interested in doing this or the the opportunities really are that dire?
0: I I, I think we're still in a system where... There are a lot more men making key decisions, and there are a lot more women making key decisions on men's behalf. And that's a very problematic scenario because it flies in the face of what we actually know, which is that women want to see horror films. They are more likely to be an audience who will see a film twice Uh, and they do drive decision making in getting to the theater so it's a bit of a conundrum if the facts don't seem to support the decisions being made Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i think that's part of the the problem that this anthology was attempting to address just take take back the decision making and um uh, that's that's how I I see the problem. Still, I I wish it were complex and I could delve into it for, you know, and say, oh, it's just a really complex right. problem. Right. But in fact, I think it's really simple, and I think there's still just a lot of men and women alike who aren't taking chances on other women.
2: Right.
1: I think right. you're 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 right when you said that because more than fifty percent of all ticket buyers are women. Um and. Um, Bela Lugosi made this observation years ago about how it's actually women who love horror and that how uh, we are somehow um, predestined to love horror um, because we bear the race in bloody agony. And, and, <laughs> so true. <laughs> and he was as right then as he is now. This simple observation that um, people fail to 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 note is that women are, you know, we, we do want to see horror movies and, and more than 50% of all um, film graduates, film school graduates are women um so it's not that we don't want to watch horror movies and it's not that we don't want to make movies those that's just simply not true but the fact remains um just seven percent of all working directors in hollywood are women so there's something going on um and it I, i don't have an you know maybe maybe it is a simple problem i feel i feel like it's a bit complex with it's no no easy solutions but xx was our kind of like humble contribution to progress mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and when it was
2: being planned was it in, it both of you uh, have told mommy horror stories mm-hmm. in in the movie and was that intentional were they supposed to be gender oriented you know quote women's yes. centric stories
1: well no we we had three man, three rules they just had to be uh, written by a woman directed by a woman and star a woman in the lead role um, and so um, other than that, the directors could do whatever they wanted. And, it, and it's an amazing coincidence that all of our segments happen to be family-oriented. Right. Um, mine is just, you know, it was happened to be, you know, I, I didn't write this story. Jack Ketchum wrote it, right? right. And, um a Dallas mayor, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. our good friend Dallas. And mm-hmm. the, the story is originally about a man who is incapable of connecting with his family. And he's, you know, the one off working and... Um, So in order to fit the mandate of this anthology, I had to switch the gender of the protagonist. I had no choice.
2: A mandate that you created. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I had no choice. But then when that happened, all these amazing storytelling possibilities emerged for me. And it became possible to tell a story about ambivalent motherhood and um how not all women are meant to be mothers and um how this sort of daily drudgery of routines and the sort of reality of motherhood um isn't always pleasant and um there there are these and how all the sort of negative uh, negatively framed feelings that women have about being a mom um um, they're just not something we talk about much it's, especially today we live in this weird culture there's this like mommy uh, there's like mommy wars on the internet about you know <laughs> yes. what I mean who's like the most tiger perfect tiger moms he, and yes. all of that yes
0: yeah. all, all about doing it right uh,
1: mm-hmm. yes and, and I'm just barely like fumbling through I have a six year old and <laughs> right. I'm just trying to figure it out and keep it all together and
2: well Jovanka um, I know of your lifelong love for this genre I mean yeah. when you were the editor of Rue Morgue you were in your Element there was this something that uh, attracted you from an early age as well, Karen. Uh,
0: I I would say that for a long time i i sort of I, I sort of put it in a different corner of my brain. I I kind of grew up, I think, consuming a lot and watching and absorbing a lot of different kinds of filmmaking. But horror is the stuff that you know it invades your dreams, and so. For me, you know, the first time I ever saw The Exorcist, the first time I ever saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first time I saw, you know, movies like Daughters of Darkness, movies that just sort of have or Suspiria or Deep Red, you know, like it, it they have.
2: They go beyond the sense of reality they, and internally. Yeah.
0: And they speak to our dream life. I would even put David Lynch in that. Category in terms of movies that just sort of get under your skin and then never leave, and that f- struck me as a miraculous achievement within any genre. And so I just continued to pay attention to it and continue to w- watch those films. It. it, it I, I was never somebody though who saw. I, I never. I never saw myself as a, a horror. Um. Freak, right? But <laughs> a now I, person. but now yeah. I kind of realize uh, that it speaks to me more clearly in a lot of ways than a lot of other genres. That um, horror gives you the opportunity, I think, to get to the heart of the matter.
2: I think it, it, it's sort of an unleashing. You know, yes. this genre it is based on dreams and nightmares and fears that are universal or they're not. Yes. But if you feel them, somebody else is going to feel them. Because mm-hmm. for me. Good horror has to be good drama first. I agree. And it's much harder because you have to get the drama right. And then on top of that, you have the mechanical aspects of building tension, suspense, fear with the language of cinema. And it's still got to work as a drama first. So,
0: Well, and also horror offers the audience, I just am now realizing this, offers the audience the possibility of a very unhappy ending and still can be an extremely satisfying movie i think we have very binary relationships to story and can easily walk out of other movies that call themselves other genres and say oh that was kind of a bummer but (laughs) you can't say that of texas chainsaw massacre you can't you can't say that of you know the sort of uncertain calm in the exorcist because You've just had the curtain pulled back. You know now there's no such thing as a happy ending. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a complicated path to happy. And so I think audiences need that need that ambivalence with, with sort of the happy ending, and horror provides that.
2: Right, and you never know how it's going to end.
0: No, you never do. <laughs> yeah,
2: now, hopefully, there seems to be an actual renaissance right now, and it's a blooming time for female filmmakers, especially in the genre. With the French film "Raw," mm-hmm. with "A Woman Walks Home Alone at Night," mm-hmm. with "Baba Duke," which is one of my favorites uh, in recent years, and this seems to be a great time. Do you think it's it's because of it? It, it feels like an ability to unleash something that's up is 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 it just the right time now that it's happening uh, you know are you adding the lubricant here with with xx yeah
1: uh, you know um I think, you know, women, like I said before, women have always been interested in horror. Um, if we go, um, you know, all the way back to Anne Radcliffe and, you know, the, the beginning, the precursors of, of modern horror fiction, um, these were women writing and Mary Shelley, you know, wrote Frankenstein, which is like argu- arguably one of the earliest science fiction stories. And so it's just, you know, it's not true that we're not interested in these types of stories. Why it's happening now, um, there's, a, you know, I guess on the the level there's a there are more women coming forward and making uh, movies and I think it's just horror movies I think it's because people are giving them a chance right and people are giving starting to give, and, give women a chance it's 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 when you make that next step to like that second feature and the bigger budgets that's where it, that's where women are virtually absent right right well what do you think Karen <laughs>
0: well that's an interesting question because. I don't know why it's happening right now that it feels like there's more women in the past three, four, five years emerging in horror particularly, though that being said, I feel we are, are, and I, I, I wonder if I could be criticized for thinking every moment is sort of an important watershed moment. But I do feel we're at this kind of watershed moment about sociopolitical conversations around gender. And we're hitting a breaking point in which it, it feels impossible to ignore that there remain profound disparities between men and women in the workplace, how they are perceived in terms of literally their worth as humans on this planet. And that conversation continues. And horror is one of the few genres, I think, that at its core seem to me to be about ideological wars and you can really you can really sort of broadcast the war in horror right and i feel like that's happening with some of these female filmmakers that their voice existing like out on the spectrum is is a, is a battle cry mm-hmm. and i don't even think it's conscious necessarily but there is some collective unconscious movement toward more women having complicated voices and also horror is a is a place it's a repository for the expression of a lot of rage and i think a lot of women justifiably feel like they just can't take it anymore politeness isn't working so I mean, cur- courtesy it, isn't working so mm-hmm. we have to start literally and figuratively you know tearing our hearts out and ripping people's heads off it's just feeling <laughs> that it's just feeling that Dire. Well,
2: at times of political and social strife, is when horror seems to blossom, and and I think this is one of those times. But it's and I think we're just at the
0: beginning. I think the next ten years are going to be mind blowing for horror across across gender.
2: Right. And, and the horror genre has always led with metaphor. And, Yovanka, you were going to say?
1: Oh, just like, yeah. I mean, we could not have predicted um, that this was movie was going to come out the day after Trump was inaugurated and <laughs> that we were at Sundance. Just- yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> we were at Sundance and there was this... The, everyone was marching in the Women's March and there was this incredible movement across... The nation, the world, right? Um, and it was women um, marching and fighting for their rights. And because the current political climate is is such that women are living in very real fear of losing their rights and freedoms, particularly here in the United States. Not so much back home in Canada. No. Um, but but um, so women are, are, are afraid, have a lot to be afraid of. And Karen, Karen has said this before in other interviews that women, women have a lot to be afraid of. So, right. And as you've pointed out, if you just take a very cursory glance at the, at the history of the horror genre, I mean, every decade, you can see what we were collectively afraid of. Right. I mean, you can just sort of get a, you know, it just paints a picture the 50s, paints a picture of what we were afraid of during that time. And, you know, every decade has this, you know, um, is very different. Right. And so it will be very interesting to look back in 10 years from now at the, at the it's to see what kind of horror emerges out of the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get some great horror movies. Uh, <laughs> out <of this>. <laughs> well, yeah, because sure. one yeah. of the best ways to fight back is to make things
2: yeah, um, and and comedy and horror have the extra added tools of metaphor that you can use to so beat true. the shit out of your opponent. <laughs> you know, so true. Um, women in Hollywood have have a long history. You know, Dorothy Arsner yeah. in the twenties through the forties was doing melodramas, she was doing musicals, she was doing all all kinds of really interesting stuff. Ida Lapino made mm-hmm. film noirs in the fifties. Mm-hmm.
1: And- Alice Guy made over a thousand she made over a thousand movies during her career. And um she is virtually absent from all film history books.
2: And and in the early <laughs> in, in the golden age of Hollywood, probably half of the screenwriters were female. Yeah. And it was quite profound. Why do you think that Went away, and why do you think maybe its its resurgence is happening, Karen? I
0: I don't know if it's ever completely gone away. I mean, I think um, I think there's still there are there are voices that have been certainly in in my 17 years doing this that are have I've seen have very lively careers as women, um, but what I do see as more and more of. A, a real problem is women I think are asked to live in an economic ghetto and there's it's very hard to have a powerful voice from that place. It it, it you 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 can you can craft your message all you want but I do believe that this is a system in which commanding very high prices for your work is part of how you gain respect and that does not happen as frequently for women it simply doesn't and so there are I know some really um, wonderful writers and directors who who do command some pretty top dollars but I, I, I would <laughs> You're say, married to one, I, right? yeah but I would say for the most part I know more men who do that right and I I, uh, I think it's um I, I think that's We we have to start talking with our money, and uh, that's not just in what we spend on, but who we who we support as filmmakers and writers, whose stories we support. And we have to sort of start treating those stories as not um, useful, kind of easy um, easy bets. Hmm. But actually, I think people need to say, you know what, I want to take a flyer. I want I want to like I want to take a risk. On this person. And I think that's what we need to see more of more men and women saying, let's take a risk on her.
1: Yeah, women aren't allowed to fail in the same way that men are. Well, you're representing
2: the a gender. Like the, yes. there are African American filmmakers who feel the burden yes. of, of carrying the society of b- Black America yes. on their shoulders, yes. and their movie has to be great, or totally they're ruining it. Uh, right? Completely it's totally unfair.
1: unfair. Can you imagine if every every movie you tried to made, make you had that incredible baggage of like so? How are you, Mick Garris, going to single handedly destroy the um, you know institutionalized <laughs> yeah sexism or you know like exactly, what yeah. are you, what are you, how are you going to solve this problem with yeah. this one movie yeah. I mean and, and the thing is it comes from women too there's like an internalized sexism as well you know and when we set out with XX there were some of the messages I got from women were like don't f- this up <laughs> yeah. No, seriously because you're you, representing yes, all of us if yeah. you f- this up none of us will ever work again I mean, and, and
0: that's and I wow. I think that there is a lot
1: of internalized fear
0: around failure for women. And I'm, it's funny, I remember making my first feature. And people asking me, what do you want to do next? And I said, well, I'd really like to know that I'm allowed to fail. <laughs>
2: little, little, yeah. little did I
0: know that I would fail so spectacularly <laughs> with Eon Flux. Um, that was certainly a humbling experience. But mm-hmm. I do think it's a crucial component of a creative career is going off the deep end and maybe staying there too long and and, and kind of not emerging intact. You need to have that experience Sort of grow as an artist, and if women have a harder time getting past that, I I think it it just it inevitably creates greater challenges
2: for you. So you think that you're only as good as your last picture plays even harder for a female.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you go to director jail, they stay, women stay there much longer mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, than men. Because it's like proof. I mean, we're, we're talking about an industry where people actually say stuff like, well, we hired a woman once and it didn't work out, so we're oh not going to do that again. No, I'm not joking. You know, I'm not making this up. And so, um, I mean, it's getting better. I'm, I'm noticing um, just... Um, Maybe the statistics aren't getting better because the diversity report was just released and women directors have taken a 2% backslide from last year. Despite the efforts of the ACLU investigating Hollywood Hollywood hiring practices, despite all the noise that everyone's been making, it's actually getting worse. But I think on a person-to-person level, it feels like it's getting better. Um, I'm just noticing in my meetings with... People and um, people are a, a lot more open places like Netflix are very open um, to um, content from women they're hungry for it right. G- um, companies like game changer films are are making a huge difference because they they finance movies only by women they're you know they're mm-hmm. uh, they finance the invitation did they not they did yeah they did nice right so it's it's people like actually doing stuff like that hiring women creating these kinds of companies and initiatives that are going to really make the difference other women hiring each other right <laughs> it's huge
2: definitely makes a difference well y- yovanka you're a new filmmaker yeah you've made these short films the first one uh, that i was aware of was the painted bird yeah, and, the captured bird uh, the yeah, captured yes, bird yes. sorry okay. the captured bird and now with this um do you have heroes or heroines uh, uh filmmakers that have inspired you with their work and and that makes you you know excited to work
1: um yeah, I mean all of them, every single one of them. Um uh, you know, when I discovered Alice Gee I was like, "Holy crap, there's this woman who's just like, you know, was a studio mogul and 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 she 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 was actually the first person to experiment with sync sound and um she's a, you know, I think I might actually she might be my next tattoo. <laughs> Cuz <'Cause> she's just <laughs> like, an absolute hero to me and um everybody, Catherine Bigelow, um Amy Holden Jones, um uh, Ida Lupino, um, Claire, Denis, um everyone. Um even um Doris Wishman made, yeah. like, dozens of exploitation films <laughs> before Herschel Gordon-Lewis ever picked up a camera. So, yeah, every single one of them is my one of my heroes. Karin, Nude on the moon. Karin, too, <laughs> yes. one of my heroes. Yes.
2: <laughs> well, Karin, as, do you feel that you were more of a latecomer into the horror genre then? I know it's been a lifelong thing for you, Yovanka. And-
0: well, it's really interesting because my second film after Fight was actually going to be a horror film and I co-wrote it with a friend who is also a filmmaker who now lives in Pennsylvania and he was a horror freak truly, a truly encyclopedia of knowledge and we actually, before I was making Girl Fight, this is pre-2000, we were trying to pitch a horror retrospective, like a comprehensive film programming kind of repertory programming Uh to a couple of the places in new york at the time we were trying to organize something like that and we were spending endless hours trying to make those playlists essentially of perfect double features so i felt i've always felt aligned to the genre but i think because i made girl fight my first film there was an assumption that a sort of Realistic drama was more my thing, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it sort of, and and even Eon Flux. Ultimately, I think, I mean, I was drawn to it as a genre movie. I mean, um, it struck me as a really powerful sci-fi love story, and of course, became something else in the process of making it. But I, I, I think I see possibility in genre more readily. Mm -hmm. And particularly in getting those films made than I do in the more indie dramas, to be honest. It just happened that I got my indie drama right, made first.
2: Right. You and know? a gritty streetwise yes, kind of exactly. indie drama. exactly. Uh, there seems to be more typecasting now than ever before. There is the horror genre jail, mm-hmm. if you see it as such. Mm. And again, in the golden age of Hollywood, directors did every kind of movie. Absolutely. You know, there were people who specialized. John Ford was more westerns, but he did other things as well. Mm-hmm. Now, For 30 years directing, I've been pretty much consigned to doing the genre stuff. So fortunately for me, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love other things, too, that I'd like to try. Is there, Jovanka you really are more identified with the horror genre than Karin is Mm -hmm. because of the diversity of your slate of of Mm -hmm. movies you've made. You're new in it, but you're also someone who is known as having edited the top horror magazine for years in Rue Morgue. So do you feel this as an opportunity that's expansive or less inclusive
1: you know um i feel a little bit like ellen ripley in alien three um when she's speaking to the monster and she says um um you've been in my life so long i can't remember anything else that's kind of <laughs> how i that's kind of how i feel about <laughs> <That's> horror <great. laughs> it's just part of um part of who i am and it's it's what i love most horror films where um Uh, my companions during some of my loneliest times as a child and um, it's it's just what I know most intimately. That being said the feature that I'm just about to start casting now is not a horror movie. Really? Yeah, it's a sci-fi action. It's a love story. <laughs> so let's hope it, it. You know, it turns out to be exactly the way I envision it. But um, yeah, it's called Riot Girls, and um, it's a sci-fi action movie with with uh, kids. Did you write it? Um, I didn't. It's actually the only thing that I'm developing that I haven't written myself. It was written by a screenwriter named Catherine Collins, who's currently writing the reboot of Lost in Space for Netflix with Neil Marshall. Great. And so she's. Really good, and you know how it is. Um, um, once you start directing horror films, you get a lot of like really crappy horror scripts, right? Like, yep, they're all.
2: <laughs> I'm familiar with.
1: Them. Right, they're they're just so bad. There's so much dreck. And then I I read Riot Girls, which Todd it, it came to me through Todd uh, Brown again. Um, he, I read it and it was just so good and I found a way into it and I really connected with the two um, young uh, girl leads um, who are uh, just trying to survive but also uh, trying to figure out who they are um, at, at, at the same time amidst this horrible you know, situation that they're in. And, um, so while it's not a horror film, it is set in an apocalypse like a post-apocalyptic world and they are, there are children doing horrible violence to each other, so there's that. Right, yeah,
2: <laughs> and there are elements of horror. It yeah. is a genre of film. Oh,
1: no, and yeah. I am going yeah. to have, yeah, I, I'm, I'm planning to, you know, to, to have elements of horror in it, right? Um, right. It's really um, the only way to. I know how to approach this kind of story right so uh, Karen,
2: what was the first kind of window into fear uh in film that that opened for you was there was there a, an image or a scene or a film oh
0: my god um it's a Saturday afternoon horror like series that was on television when I was growing up in St. Louis and it was a lot of Vincent Price movies, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure Is it is it Murders in the Rue Morgue? Oh, yeah, where, the Poe film. Where mm-hmm. The Corman Where film. The, the wife
2: Mask of the Red Death. Or
0: Mask or... of the Red Death, where yeah. she claws her way out of the coffin oh, at uh, the, the end. A, uh, <laughs> premature Baron. Yeah.
2: Premature yeah. Baron.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. my yeah. God. I mean, as a child watching that, I just felt like I can never be a kid again. In a weird way, like mm-hmm. because I felt like there was something about her nails yeah. scratching and the blood that eventually gets revealed on her hand. I, I just felt like this is this is a nightmare that is so um,
2: pervasive,
0: pervasive, and so even to a kid. I mean, mm-hmm. living in suburban St. Louis, I just felt like somehow that overlit crypt that kind of felt a little fake to me mm-hmm. none of that mattered because i was watching a, a a woman be buried alive and then try to get Scratching claw her, her way, way out, out. and yeah. i just thought you know that speaks to me so i mean <laughs> that's a that's a weird but that's probably the very first thing that i saw that just um Lit me up. Coincidentally,
1: so it, yeah. some of my earliest horror memories were that same cycle of Corman Poe films. That 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 some of my earliest because I had childhood insomnia, I would stay up all night watching uncut horror movies on city TV in Toronto, <laughs> Canada. Right. Yeah, and 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 some and they would play those movies. And and The Mask of the Red Death is one of my earliest memories, mm. and so. We also, we didn't have a tradition of horror hosts. Um, you know how in the U.S., every city had one. And right. We just had one show called The Hilarious House of Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Billy Van, he it was yep. a variety show. He played all the characters. And, and Vincent Price was the host. Wow. So I was watching him at night in the Corman movies and then watching him in the morning on this kids show mm. and it's It not, was like you know. were
0: being given the secret of like, <laughs> yeah. actually that kids show guy is like out to get you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about your
2: childhood Karen? Was it uh, a, a leave it to beaver household? You know, Most of the people I know who create genre did not come they weren't the most popular kids in school.
0: Oh my god, I was so not the most popular kid in school. I mean I I I was telling my friend this the other day, and she was laughing so hard because she couldn't believe I had never mentioned it to her. I had this childhood seizure disorder that came on when I was about 12, and I, in seventh grade, had this somewhat unexplained seizure disorder that Hmm. meant I was heavily drugged at school. So I was just sort of falling asleep in class and just kind of plodding from one classroom to another, completely friendless. And then one way that this seizure disorder um expressed itself was through spontaneous projectile vomiting. Oh, oh my so God. you're in seventh grade, <laughs> oh. you know, you wear big thick glasses, mm-hmm. you struggle with the, the, the contact lenses that are still essentially made out of like Tupperware. So just <laughs> like I don't know if I can do this. And you know, I had crazy I wore like metallic striped socks with, you know, Crazy jawed purse. Like, I just looked like a crazy person in retrospect. And I projectile vomited sometimes at school, unbidden. I mean, it was a lonely time. It was actually a really, really kind of lonely time to endure. And, um.
2: Welcome to the world of horror.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And so, but I also felt a core strength. And I do credit education and my parents who encouraged me to get a good education essentially figure out how you're gonna get the f out Mm -hmm. um because that was what saved me is knowing sooner or later i was going to go to college and like (laughs) learn about other cultures so but but i would say it was a pretty um it, it was a in many respects filled with bittersweet and wonderful moments but also a pretty fraught I would have grown a friend. <laughs> I, and, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I found friends, but I felt we're like... all your friends. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But it was, you know, it's sort of like I feel like finding those library nerds and finding the outcasts helped me. Um, but there was a period where I didn't really find those people yet. And so I think about that as one of the more um, kind of challenging times of, of life.
2: Well, we have a couple of questions that are coming in through social media. So, Jovanka, yes. Joe had a question.
1: <laughs> yes, what, Joe. What was in the box? What do you think was in the box, Joe? <laughs> Um, Well, you know, I read that story years ago when it first came out in um, a collection called Peaceable Kingdom. And as you know, Jack Ketchum is known primarily for doing like splatter fiction. Mm -hmm. But then there was this like weird little existential horror story in there and uh, that sort of didn't belong. And um, I thought, you know, that it played like an episode of The Twilight Zone. And I I really I toyed with almost uh, shooting it in black and white, too. Uh-huh. But then I thought, you know, uh, that just be wearing my influences too much on my sleeve. <laughs> so um, when I, ca- I called up um, Dallas and, and asked him, like, hey, listen, you know, I'm adapting your your short story to screen. Can you tell me what was in the box? And he was just like, no, <laughs> 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 you got to figure it out for yourself. And, and he's right, because um, people's answers are far more interesting um, than mm-hmm. if I just gave an answer of my own, because they bring their own personal experience to it. So I've heard people tell me they think that it's about eating disorders, obviously, um, and they think that it's about um, child sexual abuse of children and how mothers sometimes harbor um, uh, abusers in their family, mm-hmm. and there's this sort of metaphor for this dark secret. That um, So it, it's it's it, it's much more interesting for me to not tell you. Sorry, is that a cop-out? Well, no, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it
2: actually reminds me of the Ray Bradbury story, which was adapted to Alfred Hitchcock, The Jar. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's
2: got that equal, once you know what it is, the magic's so, over. Right, mm-hmm. you know, and I
1: mean, it's a MacGuffin. It's a, it MacGuffin, is a MacGuffin, which some people exactly. think is like a lazy storytelling device, but uh, it's
2: not a cop out. That's not what the story's about.
1: <laughs> no, exactly. It's not. Yeah. It's not about what was in the box. It, it's sort of about what uh, how everyone reacts to what happens afterwards that mm-hmm. matters. Um, it's why why I love that show, The Leftovers, so much mm-hmm. because it's not about the fact that everyone died. It's about how everyone deals with the grief. It's afterwards, right? It, yeah, right. and. um um, I think that's an interesting perspective, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Karin, mm-hmm. Gavin wants to know the same thing I want to know. What's next for you?
0: Oh, nice. Um, I have a couple of projects. Um, I am developing a project at Fox uh, called Breed, which is based on... a. Chase Novak novel, which is his genre pen name. He's actually Scott Spencer, Uh, but that doesn't seem to be a secret. So I can say that Chase (laughs) Novak and Scott Spencer are the same. Uh, And it's a really cool grown up family horror film that uh,
2: you found your new niche.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I'm really I mean, I definitely know what I like once I once I come across it. And uh, so that's uh, my my uh, husband, Phil, and his partner, Matt, are the writers on it and producers with um, a wonderful writer-director named Scott Frank. And uh, so they're writing that now. But in the meantime, Phil and Matt also wrote and produced a movie called Destroyer, which uh, I'll be shooting here in, New- in, in L.A., um, I'm hoping, in the fall. Uh, we're Fantastic. just casting that now. So. And yes. then I have a couple of other things that are in development.
2: Okay, you can reach us on Twitter, at PostmortemMG, one word, of course. And then don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes. Rate us and leave feedback so we can find ways to make the show even better. Well, thank you for being a part of Postmortem, and we'll see you, you soon. Thank,
1: thank you, you. so much. much.
2: Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris.
1: Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.